kind of funny to watch historical beer styles making a comeback more each year in local breweries and still be pushed as lost styles not made anymore. But that's a discussion for another time because I'm jumping on that lost style bandwagon and making my first Kentucky Common. And that's what this episode's all about. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and today I am brewing my first Kentucky Common. This is another style that I've wanted to make for a while now, and I wanted to first make it when I found out about it during my BJCP studying, because it sounds right up my alley from description (laughs) beginning to end. Sounds like the kind of beer I want to drink. Then I even wanted to make it more so when a local brewery around here made one that I really enjoyed the whole time it was on tap. Now I have to make it, or at least I have to if I want to enter my club's next inner club competition, because the theme for that, or in fact, not even the theme, the style for that inner club competition is historical beers. This inner club competition for historical styles is going to cover everything that's listed in the BJCP guidelines. That much is that one, that one's pretty much a given. It's also going to include anything that members can find that is a beer that is pretty much no longer made, even an ancient ale that can be at least described or some information provided of what that beer is should be like or thought is was liked in, in the case of the ancient ales. It's a pretty interesting style or category to be brewing for and it's the perfect time and reason for me to make this kentucky common because kentucky common is specifically listed and described in the 2021 bjcp guidelines the bjcp guidelines is a pretty good job describing its overall impression it says it's a clean dry refreshing slightly malty dark beer with high carbonation Mild tasting with light toast and caramel flavors served very fresh and is a sessionable saloon beer. To me, and with my experience with the whole one commercial example I've had of this style, it's almost a hybrid of lager and ale. I could see myself describing this as a heavy-bodied lager or a light-bodied ale and feel that's a reasonable starting point to describing this beer. There is a bit of a dryness to it without it being a completely crisp beer, but still having a little bit of a noticeable crisp character and enough malt and sweet sugars on the palate to lean towards an ale, but not really reach that style like in an amber ale or even in a brown ale if you go a little darker with this style. So making this is going to be a fun challenge and there's no time like the present to start. So let's get on the brew day. It's brew day for the Kentucky Common. I'll be brewing a few hours later. I'm just wrapping up my lunch, and I thought I'd get some of the odds and ends out, like the uh, fermenter I'm going to need, and then the valve I'll need for it, which I'm actually not finding where I thought I would. Not that you can see where I'm looking, but I think I know where it is, so I will get to that later. I did want to mention the leaks I've been having from the valves I did a like a really took a really hard look at a lot of these, and it's not so much the seal that's leaking. In fact, the seal doesn't seem to be leaking at all. I think with the wear and tear of having these valves for a couple of years, they're just plastic. They're simple friction uh, valves. They there's no mechanics in it. It's not even a ball. It's not a ball valve. It's a simple friction valve. I think the wear and tear on these for the past few years has kind of worn it down a little bit, and these leaks are 
now coming out of the spout very slowly. So what I'm doing now until I get some new valves, which is ultimately the uh, solution, is I have these little silicone caps that I found on Amazon that, that uh, well, people, painters, uh, they're, they're used, they apparently are used, I didn't even know this was a thing, are used for car painting primarily. You would cover something you don't want painted, like a, I don't know, I don't know what, like, um, I have never painted a car panel, but I imagine if you have some kind of bolt or thread or something, you wouldn't want to get a gunk with paint. This looks like what this would go over. I got a pack of like, actually, I could probably tell you how many, a lot of them different, because I didn't know what size to get. It's a 40 pack of ranging sizes, and it was like, it was, it was five bucks at most. I don't even think it was that, and I found one that fits perfectly over the end of the valve and I can sanitize these and put them on the end of the valve and it'll that'll if it leaks too much it'll catch it and then stop the leak and hold it in place but what it seems to be doing is creating um some kind of vacuum or whatnot that the leak stops before it even gets that far so I have these I've been using them fitting them over the end of the valve until I get some new valves that tight so that they're nice tight fits which one of those things I don't think of until I find the problems, like, of course, I've had these for I don't even know how many years, and they're, again, there's plastic rubbing on plastic. Some little micro abrasions are probably happening that is wearing those out. But I got all that. I figured the, and I did find the valves as I was talking, so I tend to kind of leave the fermenter to last and then scramble. So I thought, you know what? I have a couple of minutes right now. Let me get that set up and do that first, and then maybe I'll save myself a little panic later. Getting brew day underway. I got the water on the kettle. I got, it's two and a half gallons of distilled water. I have the salt all ready to add once it gets to about 90 degrees. I got the uh, grain bill together. I'm gonna mill these and get the temperature on them just so I can see where I need to heat that strike water up to. But I haven't talked at all about the recipe, so I'm gonna take that chance now. It starts with some simple two-row pale malt, two pounds, 5.7 ounces of it, then to that for some more fermentables and a little more alcohol, a little more body and a little more kind of historical kind of time period type flavor to it. We got seven ounces of corn. Should be a corn, what's a presence might even be a big, I was going to say a flavor, but that's not it. Presence might even be too big. Like just the kind of uh, idea of corn should be in this beer you should think that there might be but you don't know because it's not in your face it just seems like there might be hopefully that's what this is going to do seven ounces seems like a lot for a one gallon batch and something just might not have worked out with the numbers when it comes to this so that's why i'm doing a test and we'll find out then we need a little bit of caramel flavor and i'm going to pull that out of about the strongest classic american caramel or crystal malt that i have which is the uh 120 and then we're trying to get the color in that orangish range, but not too far brown. So I have a little bit of Carafa 3, which is actually 0.1 ounce. And then some color and just a little hint of something else and kind of going for roast without it being roasty. Just another, again, like the idea of roast. Like it might be there, might be the flavors. So not quite sure. So one subtle. So got 0.5 ounces of black malt, which is a little more of a roast character than carafa not much not like a roasted barley or a chocolate malt or a midnight wheat but just a little bit to again give the idea of it and change the color to what we want so i'm gonna mill these up like i said 
get a temperature, and I'll talk about why I'm getting that temperature once I get it and move on to the next step. I've got the grains milled, and I am taking a temperature. And why I'm doing that is because I use that number to calculate how hot to get the strike water so that I can reach my mash temperature or get to it as close as possible. And I don't have a calculation that I do on it. I, there's a website called, I think it's B-I-B-B, I'm sorry, B-I-A-B water calculator. That's what I, that's a search I put in Google. It's brew in the bag water calculator. And this is essentially, at least up to this part, is essentially brewing in a bag. We're mashing in a bag and then transferring it to a boil kettle. But it's for the volumes and for the temperatures, this all is basically, if not exactly the same up to that point, the steps and the numbers and calculations and whatnot. So I use that to plug in uh, all my numbers. It asks how big the batch is, how many grains there are by weight, the temperature of the grains, what your boil off is, what your grain absorption is. And this is at 77. Let me see if it's still there. Yeah, it's 77 degrees. So I put that in and this says to get a... Strike temperature of 151 degrees, which is my goal. Heat the water up to 155. So that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes I find that it brings me, a, when I go with the temperature that they suggest. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. When, I'm, when I heat it up exactly to what they suggest, there's some residual leftover heat. I think it raises up the water another degree, maybe a degree and a half. And then I end up having a higher strike temperature. So what I'm going to do, I was going to say, I'm going to cut this off when it gets to 155. I actually might take a step back on that statement and cut it off when it gets to 154. That should get me closer to 151. That is, I'm not even sure that was the plan I had until I sounded it out. I'm glad I did, because that's what I'm going to try to do. If it's if it ends up being low, like 150, that's fine. That's the profile I want. I want some really simple sugars and a little bit of body on this. If it goes to 149, I'm happy there too. Lower than that, okay, we're questionable. Anything above 152 or even 153. 153 actually might, I usually don't worry about mash temperatures as you've probably heard on the show, but with this beer, I, I am because it's kind of walks a fine line between lager and ale. So I want there to be a little bit of each character. So I don't want to go too high in that ale, typical ale mashing range, but I don't want to go too low and make it a just completely dry crispy beer so this is not the best system to do that on the anvil would be but i want to get a quick dirty sample done to see where i'm going with this recipe so it's going to take a little bit of effort at the tail end of that heating up the water but i think in the end we'll be okay we'll find out here shortly actually the grains are mashed in and after adding the water and stirring everything up I took a temperature and it's 151.0 on the nose and that never happens. And I even took a picture of it. I don't know why. I don't need to, um, I'm, it was in a video. There's no way to prove it in the audio, but for some reason it's like, I need to take a picture of that because that never happens. So the cooler's all sealed up about every 20 minutes. I'm going to stir it until we get to an hour, which is more than plenty of time for this to convert and then get on to the boil. But in that first uh, 20 minute wait, I'm gonna get those boil additions ready for when we get to that point. 
I got the boil editions ready, and for the hops, this one was. It, I, I'm still undecided. Well, I decided because I have to do the rest. Of the uh, I had to make the brew, but I'm not sure it was the right decision because there's kind of two sides of the discussion on this. One is that it's almost entirely early hops, 60 minutes up to 30 minutes, maybe something in between, rarely if any in between. Like in 30 minutes, usually the latest. Then you have one that you have a hop schedule that you usually have for most beers. A bittering at 60, a little bit of aroma somewhere around 20, and then like a five to flame out addition somewhere. And that was really kind of split in half in the recipes I saw. Now, the recipes with the best reviews or with the proven wins, and I say proven because in I think well, I'm not gonna say the source because I don't wanna say they do anything wrong. One source I use, you can label your your beer an award-winning recipe without it actually winning an award but these will show i'm talking about ones that put in their notes the link to verify their their win so winning beers and and highly reviewed beers of that look like something i wanted to try were all those early editions so that's what i'm going with and almost unanimously i will say this cluster hops was everywhere somewhere along the line cluster hops became the kentucky common hop because I am sure there's other ones out there, but I, I think at like nine out of 10 recipes were always cluster hops. So I just went with that. That seemed like the safe bet. So I have my biggest addition is at 60 minutes. It's 0.14 ounces. And then I have another addition at a half hour or 30 minutes and it's 0.04 ounces, which is barely anything. I don't even know if that would be a flavor or aroma or really too much of anything, but we're going to find out. And this is the first time I've used cluster hops and I am absolutely loving the aroma on these. I don't know if they're particularly listed as an aroma hop or, or dual purpose hop. I'll have to look that up. But man, alive, do I love the aroma on this. It's almost like a, it's got that, that typical hop aroma you get with almost everything, but no funk, no real citrus, more of an earthy, woody. Not, and there's something else in there too, but I can't put my finger on it. So I'm really anxious to use this hop, not now, but sometime later as well. And um, that's it for the hops. We, of course, have a Warflock tablet at about two minutes and Neeson Nutrients at 10. I said those backwards, but <laughs> as far as timeline goes. And that's it. Like I said, fairly simple. All really early edition hops, especially for brews that I make. So we'll see how this comes out. I'm pretty eager. The mash is done. I did stir every 20 minutes, so at the 20-minute mark, then the 40-minute mark. I didn't record those. Figured you know what stirring is. Now I have it in a colander on top of the cooler draining, and I'm going to start vorloffing, and that is when I take some of the wort out of the cooler and pour it back over the grain bed to get kind of those big chunks of... Uh, well, in this case, it looks like... There, I, I do get some big chunks of husks every once in a while out of the brew bag. It looks like some corn flakes. Well, <laughs> flakes of corn, not the cereal, um, have come through. So I'm going to try to get those out, too. Those, those, I'm not sure if you boil those if, those, if that gives the same kind of tannic, astringent issue as the husks do. But I'm not going to find out. So I'll do... Uh, I usually do about a gallon's worth. It's almost recycling the entire wart to get that out so once that's done i will head into the boil i just started to transfer out of the mash tun into the boil kettle so i'm gonna usually 
get, I don't measure it, but I get like about three quarters of this pot. This pot is labeled as a three gallon pot, but it is not, there's no way it's three gallons volume. It's way shorter, but I do fill this about three quarters of the way worth of wort when I do an hour boil. So it's only about a little more than a third. So got a little ways to go and then uh, I'll get it on the stove and start the actual, actual boil now. I just took a starting gravity while I'm waiting for the boil, and it is 1.037, which is exactly what Beersmith said it was going to be, which is interesting, because I know I think I've explained this to death, but I'll do it again <laughs> real quick. I kind of over, what do you say, over-designed the recipes? That's, that's not quite the word I'm looking for. I try, when I'm doing a new recipe of a style, you have a, you have a range, like, 1045 to 1055 for your starting gravity. I always go, when I have that range, I have it, I go for at least 1055, knowing that this one gallon mash in a bag is always going to come up short and be somewhere in between, like around 1050, which is in between those two numbers. So with that, the predicted pre-boil gravity is usually, usually low as well, but not always. So I'm not worried. I'm still thinking this is going to come in shorter than what the paper said, what it says on paper. And that's exactly what I'm shooting for. So I am surprised, but I'm not worried. So we'll see if I need to worry in an hour after this boil is done. The boil is going. It's very vigorous. I, I wanted to get this really rolling. I guess that's a better way to say it. it's a really rolling boil. Now I'm turning down just a touch to have it to like a just boiling royal, just rolling boil. But I really got that thing cranking. I, I kind of wanted to hit the ground running with this. I wanted to get these these uh, flavors incorporated, get a little bit of a Maillard reaction, gets a little bit of kettle caramelization too. Not a whole lot because we're not doing a long boil, but just a touch to kind of really round out what I think the flavor profile of this beer could be. So with that, I am starting my timer now, and I just added my first addition of those cluster hops. 30 minutes has passed, and the last addition of hops is going in now. So there we go. That This one, that's the one that's kind of the... Man, that's not a lot of hops. Not sure what it's going to do to this, but we'll, I, we'll find out. We'll find out what the beer comes out like. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to pinpoint these two hop additions, but it's in there now. Nothing else to do for another 20 minutes until that'll be the 10-minute mark. Well, I guess I'll, well, yeah. I mean, you know, let's talk about them now. No sense in going back and recording. Ten, at the 10-minute mark, I'm going to add the yeast nutrients. And then at about five-minute mark, I'll put the Warflock tablet in. I usually write that into my recipes at two minutes, but anything five and under is fine. And I'm kind of counting down the minutes at that point so that I don't overboil and then I have everything ready for the cooling. So when five minute mark hits, I put in the Warflock, get everything else ready for the cooling, mainly putting the ice in the water in the sink. So that way I don't kind of miss the, the two minute window then at the end. Two minutes might be a little too uh, short, like, well, I don't think so. I think as long as it gets boiled for at least 30 seconds, you've, you've sanitized any stuff on it and you broke it up pretty well, but I don't like missing the two minute mark, which I've done by waiting out. So now I do about five minutes and have had great results. So, so we'll call that the boil. We'll come back with some chilling and a few other things before we finally get this in the uh, fermentation fridge. 
I am chilling now, and for anyone new to this, it is very simple process. It's the sink on the, if you really want a picture, it's the left bay of a two-bay sink filled with ice and a little bit of water to kind of get the, the temperature down initially, and then I kind of just let the ice melt as I stir this, and I stir and stir and stir for about 20 minutes. I've never officially timed it. I don't feel like I, I take it back. I think I have. But 20 minutes always feels like what it is. So I'm trying to get it down to about 63 degrees this time, a few degrees lower than normal. And that's, uh, yeah, just a waiting game at this point. Stir and wait. The wort is cooled and I'm about to pitch the yeast and I have not talked about the yeast yet. So I'm kind of standing away from the boil kettle, the cooled boil kettle, so I don't talk over it and infect anything in there because I did want to talk about the yeast. I'm using the German ale strain of yeast. In this case, I'm using Imperial's brand, which is called Kaiser. It is 1007 for Y yeast. I don't know what it is for the other brands, but I know the Y yeast one because that's what I used to use when I could get Y yeast. And... This is, the, this is a departure from most of the recipes, if not all the recipes, that I kind of use as an inspiration. Usually what I've seen in the recipes that I really like, they're using the San Diego lager yeast, which I know is Cable Car for Imperial. I don't know the other, any other brand's name of it. And it's a lager yeast that you can ferment at a higher temperature. You can actually ferment any yeast at any temperature, but this is specifically, I guess, originally designed and marketed to do at higher temperatures. Uh, German yeast, this German ale yeast is kind of the same thing. In fact, it has a little bit of a higher uh, suggested temperature range. And I've liked the results of the German ale more than the uh, San Diego lager. It's kind of funny. It's like the San Diego lager is coming up to meet an ale, whereas the German ale is kind of coming down to meet a lager. And I like that direction of the yeast character better than the 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 opposite so i opted for using german ale because i've said in the opening and may have said during the uh talking about the grist this is a fine line between a lager and an ale and i like how the german ale strain walks that line better than the san diego lager not saying it does a bad job by any means if that's all i had and that's all i could buy i would have used it without compromise it's that's fine but since i had the choice I picked the German ale yeast. I've used this for my alt beers. I've used this for Kolsch's. I've used this. I've even used this for old ales. One of my best old ales was actually used with this. I've now switched to an, another one uh, for another level of complexity in that beer. But for the longest time, I was using this strain for my old ale with incredible success. So it's been, uh, it's been a strain that's really done well for me, but I've never used the Imperial one. So that is going to be interesting to see how this works with this beer and if it is the right choice. That's about the only thing that I completely went off script with. I gave my own spin, especially in the coloring malts on this, um, using two different ones. I, no one seems I've done that, but I used Carafa 3 and black malt, as you heard. And my choice of the caramel malts is a little stronger than some others, but not, they're not a big, that big of a difference compared to the recipes that I was inspired by. Just the yeast is the biggest thing. So, okay, I think I talked about it long enough. I really need to get this into fermenter and I need to get said yeast pitched. 
fermenter is in the fridge and I do have my starting gravity number, which I neglected to mention, but I will now. It is 1051. Beer Smith said it was going to be 1055. And hearkening back to talking about pre-boil gravity, that's because I added, I made the recipe to be high knowing it was going to fall short. The range for this in the BJCP style guidelines is 1044 to 1055, 1051. That's right exactly the range I want to be in that middle, not too low and not too high. So this did work out. <laughs> I will say, I think in the recording set, I'm not worried at, when I saw 1037, but I was yeah, maybe, maybe a little worried, but not now. So good to go. Everything's ready. I just got to clean up and then it's a waiting game for me, but not for you because whatever is next has happened well longer than it took for that beat that's about to play to play. I got a fermentation report on the Kentucky Common and <laughs> the within less than 24 hours of checking it, this thing exploded. There was such a mess in the fermentation fridge like I have never seen from the German ale strip. I've seen it before with two and a half gallon, five gallon batches with uh, bigger or uh, I should say more aggressive yeast strains. I've never seen a mess like this from a one gallon, never seen this mess from the German yeast, German ale yeast strain. So that was completely unexpected. So I cleaned up everything, like spick and span. I don't want any nastiness in there and no fruit flies and nothing. And then I put a blow-off tube on for the next 48 hours. And now we're down to an airlock, thankfully, finally. Uh, I think that all comes down to using the Imperial brand of yeast. That stuff is, I've not had a clunker in any of them. Maybe didn't get the results I want flavor-wise, but as far as their, the vitality of that yeast, absolutely crazy. So we are a few days into it. It's still really strong. It's really murky, which means there is a absolute ton of yeast in there. Oh, and I didn't mention in that temperature range, I have it like only two degrees in the lowest temperature range. So it's not like it's too hot and took off. So I, yeah, that was not expected. I know that now because I'm going to use this for my alt beers and my cultures and a couple other things. But man, that was a mess. That was that was unpleasant, but also kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Encouraging, encouraging. I think we're gonna have a really clean, healthy fermentation out of this. It is time to taste this Kentucky Common. I'm pretty excited about it. As as usual, I've done tastings along the way. Tasted it out of the fermenter, tasted it after carbonation from the keg. The only thing I've not done is kind of out of its final vessel. In this case, it's a bottle. I bottled all of that one-gallon test batch. And so this will be the first true taste. This is what anyone else that is going to drink this particular beer. And as I said in the opening of this episode, it is going to one specific competition. It's how they're going to taste it as well. So let's start off. I, I do have... The guidelines in front of me, because this isn't a beer that I get on the regular. In fact, um, it's, I was trying to think how long ago it was I had that local style, commercial style. It has to be at least a year, if not more. I should go in untapped and check. I'm not sure I logged it in and then untapped, but I know I'll be able to find the entry in untapped and at least know when it was available. But it's going to be at least a year. Even if it's six months, I've had so many different beers since then, both brewing and enjoying. I'd love to say I have a recollection of every nuance of that beer since I last had it, but there's there's really no way that's possible. So I'm going to use the guidelines. 
It's under category 27. That's a historical category. It is the second beer listed. It used to be, be uh, this is just a little side note. It used uh, Gosa or Gose or Gauss or however, I don't think Gauss is the right way to say it, but it's, I've heard it pronounced in different ways. G-O-S-E. I believe there's a tilde over the E. I could be wrong on that punctuation, but that used to be the first entry. Well, they've moved that into, I think, just sa- the sour category. Not only, not just European sour, but sour. One of the two. It's been moved. And that would have moved Kentucky Common up to the top of the first entry of historical, but they put Keller beer, which used to be under one of the German styles. I can't remember which one. I want to say German pale bitter or German pale multi, but I don't remember. I didn't look that up. So just as a side note, even though with that shift change, Kentucky Common is still the second entry in the historic category. So we'll start off. Aroma is the first thing listed here, but I'm going to start with appearance because that's the easiest and most apparent thing to look at. <laughs> yeah, Appearance is apparent. Go figure. So the guidelines say it needs to be an amber orange to brown in color, typically clear, may have a light haze, foam stand, may not be long lasting, and is usually white to beige color. So I would say the color, and you've probably, oh, I just hit the mic with the glass. You've probably seen it. It's definitely amber. It's it's around a copper, but not quite as rich as that. So the color range is good. I was worried about the head retention until I read that because exactly what they described happened. It was a very nice white head. It fell rather rapidly. It held long enough to take a okay picture, but the the head that I poured on this, and I poured rather aggressively, was even bigger and moosier than the cover art for this episode led on. But apparently that's in style, so I'm happy with that. So we're going to go to Aroma. I'm going to, let's see, I'm going to check it out first, then read what I'm supposed to be getting. So let me see what I get on the nose here. Now, first off, it's like, it's all malt. And I get, how, do, how am I going to describe this? I get what I get as corn. There's, there's a word in there I'm missing. Some people will smell corn in a beer as plain corn, like cooked corn, the, the way corn's supposed to smell. For some reason, I smell it differently, but I know what that smell is. It's like, I smell like, oh, that's, when I smell that particular aroma, I'm like, that's corn. My perception of corn, I guess that's a word I was looking for. I do smell that in there. But to me, it doesn't smell like corn. If I handed this to my wife, chances are she would pick out corn like immediately. Little sweetness, maybe, maybe some earthy hop in there, maybe, but not, it's, it's, that could be just a blend of the really big malt bill that this is, could be the graininess, the crackery, the bready of the malt, and that corn and that sweetness that's making me think there's also an earthy element in there. But it could also be an earthy element. But as far as a hop character, like something specific, like uh, citrus or pine or whatnot, no, 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 not at all. A little little alcohol sweetness rolling off of it as it's warming up in my hand, which is nice. And it says about it, definitely malt forward. So let's see what I should be, what's suggested that I should be (laughs) perceiving. Let's say that. I don't want to, I don't want to put these guidelines on the pedestal necessarily, but this is a competition beer. So in this case, I guess that's appropriate, but they say for aroma, low, medium grain, corn-like with sweet maltiness and low toast, biscuity, grainy, bready, or caramel malt accent. Okay. So as far as the accent, I would say biscuity, grainy and bready. I did say that. 
I don't think the sweetness I get is caramel, so that's probably not there. It does say or, doesn't say and, and I don't get any kind of toast or roastiness that could be perceived as toast. They continue and say medium to moderately low hop aroma, maybe usually floral or spicy in character. I'm not getting any floral, so if anyone's looking for that, they might not find it. Maybe let me try now that I know it's supposed to supposedly supposed to be in there. I don't even know I can convince myself I am getting it. Maybe a judge can if they read the guideline before they smell it. What else we have here? Clean fermentation profile. I'd say that's definitely part of it. Uh, possible faint berry esters. Not really. Not getting any kind of esters. Low levels of DMS optional. I'm not getting any DMS. No sourness, malt forward amount. So, yep. Okay. I'd say aroma is well in the range of what I want. So, we'll go on to the all-important flavor. Let's do the same thing. I'm going to taste it first, and then I'll, then I'll read what I should be tasting. Mm. Right off the bat, it's this smooth sweetness and a little bit of a that corn, that, that again, that unique way that my palate finds corn and alcohol is there. It's almost like a, a, not a sourness, not a tartness, just a little bit of a bite, like a little bit of a twang, like a kind of a raw husk of a, of a, um, a, a, wheat which is weird i'm comparing a corn flavor to wheat but that's what i kind of get on my palate for corn so let me go in for that that's the initial thing that raw that rolls right off the tongue the palate and then the, the finish very i really like that initial flavor i'd say there's a definitive sweetness for sure uh it's a little sugary sweet kind of i guess that would be kind of a caramel and a little bit of a bread note a bready note uh, again, cracker to follow the aroma. I'm kind of getting as the aftertaste lingers. That sweetness is definitely from the malt. It's I say sugary sweet, but I don't mean like a candy sugar. I mean like a like a just a pure sweetness, but from from the malt. There's not a. It's not like a caramel. It's not a dark car, caramel or dark sugar. It's not a molasses. It's it's a a malt sweetness. It's just a a unadulterated malt sweetness like like a sugar is a sugar so i kind of think like well i guess it's not because i just think four different sugars but i hope i'm saying uh, uh being able to explain what i mean i'm going to take one more taste and then i'm going to read the guidelines after that initial palate adjustment that kind of corn character that my palate picks up is backing off to the malt sweetness and getting a little um hmm I want to say this is going to sound strong, but it's not strong. I'm getting a little bit of a perfume note, and I mean just like a touch. It's not perfume can be and typically is a very strong flavor and aroma, but this is like just reminds me of perfume. Maybe that's a floral note, and that might be in my head because I read floral in the aroma. It's just barely there. It's not at all distracting, but the big... The big flavor is the malt. I'm really enjoying this beer, regardless of how close to the mark I made it or how this does in competition. I really like this, but let's see. Let's see what it's supposed to be. Let's see. So moderate grain, sweet maltiness with low to medium, low caramel, toffee, bready, or biscuit notes. So, okay. Don't, I'd say I get the sweetness. I wouldn't say it's caramel and it's definitely not toffee. I get a little bit of bready or biscuit. I said cracker. So it's in that, that range. It's probably a little drier tasting than bready or biscuit, but I get a little bit of that. Uh, continues generally light palate flavors, typical of adjunct beers, a low grainy corn like sweetness is common that I did my initial palate. I will say my initial sip, that corn character that I, that I 
the way I perceive it again, and I would imagine someone tasting this might get it as straight corn on their first sip too. That was fairly strong, but in subsequent tastings, sips, like even short sips, long sips, holding it in my mouth, that corn really just kind of took a backseat to the malt. So it was that kind of initial palate shock. So I'd say it's probably in the right range. So, okay, we'll continue here. Medium to low floral or spicy hot flavor. Maybe I'm getting floral. That's the one I was debating with on the last sip there. Medium to low bitterness. Yeah, okay, I do get low bitterness. It's not a bitter beer, but there's definitely a noticeable bitterness. So I'd say low bitterness. No coarse or harsh aftertaste. No, I definitely don't get any of that kind of really strong hop, uh, hop bittering or any kind of bittering in the aftertaste. May exhibit light fruitiness. Balance in the finish is towards malt, possibly with a light flinty or mineral sulfate flavor. That's interesting. Uh, the finish is fairly dry, no sourness. It is leaning towards a dry side, but I would not call this a dry beer. If you had, if you had to sit there and pick out which, which was it? Is it more full or is it more dry? Is it more sweet or is it more dry? You'd say it's closer to dry, but it's kind of right in that middle. I, I, I it, it's really writing that line. So I think this is another power of suggestion thing where it's, it's uh, telling me it should be dry. So I'm like, yeah, it's dry. So, Oh, last thing is mouthfeel. Let me take one more sip to kind of see what we're getting here. Okay. I'm going to read cause I'm not, yeah. Mouthfeel is always a tough one for me to describe. They say it's medium to medium light body with a relatively soft mouthfeel, highly carbonated can have a cream, creamy texture. So, okay. Medium body for sure. Maybe medium light to some people's taste, especially if had a, if you're leaning more towards those really high ABVs or really thick, heavy kind of stouts or even like the uh, pastry stout or something barrel aged. But I'd say as a beer, just in the world of beer without being uh, any kind of special aged or whatnot, it's definitely medium, medium. It could pass as medium light. Uh, soft mouth feel, sure. Highly carbonated, definitely. I'm sitting here giving a little spin, even though the head fell really quickly, the carbonation comes back instantly. Well, I'm, I'm pulling it out of the, the head comes back, I should say, which means I'm pulling carbonation out of the beer very easily. And what was the last thing? Uh, oh, creamy texture. That's the one. That is the one I struggle with the most, the describing a creamy texture, I guess. I mean, it's not thin like water, but it's not thick like, um, like a whipping cream. It's maybe like a milk texture like it doesn't taste like milk or feel like milk but it's closer to the mouthfeel of milk than water that's the best way i can describe it that's one thing i've struggled with and i just mentioned that several times i struggle mostly with that texture aspect of the mouthfeel descriptor and which is kind of funny because i think it's only worth five points in the end so it's just well, so struggling to find those exact descriptors probably aren't as important as something higher scoring like flavor which is the highest one or even the overall you can kind of fit in what your experience is for that. But that's a discussion for another series, beer judging. So back to this beer. So let's answer some questions, which I still haven't written down. First, what would I change? I'm not sure if anything. There was a couple mentions of hop presence that I'm not quite getting the exact way this beer is just is being described. So maybe I'd add something a little more noticeable in the hops. I don't know that I'd use a straight up really strong American hop, like a Centennial or Citra. Cascade may even be out of style for that. Maybe something closer to, I would stick with the Noble hops, I think, and maybe uh, maybe a Saz 
late in the game or something. I'm not sure. That's about the only thing I think of a change because I really enjoy the Molt character on this. Uh, it, would I send it to competition? Yes, I made it for a competition, so it's going to go. That is, competition has not happened yet, so I don't know how it's done, how it's scored, or what it, what it's done. And I know there's another question in there. Man, I have to listen to the other episodes. But just like final notes on this, uh, maybe would I make it again? I think I have maybe have switched some around there. I think I am going to make this again. One, because I like it. Two, we do have... Well, I say we have an annual Halloween party, but not counting the pandemic years and the craziness since 2020. It hasn't happened lately, but we plan to have it again sometime, maybe this year. This might be one I make because it's going to be a style that not a lot of people, if maybe even anyone at that party, would try. And this is one I'd make for a party to uh, kind of introduce a new style of beer to people that I th- uh, think that they would like because it's a very enjoyable beer. It's very... It's a little different. It's not an amber ale. It's not a lager. It's, it's not entirely um, ale-like, but there's a little characteristics of, of everything. There is um, a little. There is a certain Christmas to it with the uh, that kind of leans it towards lager, and that comes, I think, from the corn. But there's uh, most of its character is ale-like, even though I said it's not exactly ale. But it's a little bit of a hybrid of the two, and the flavor is definitely unique, regardless of how this does. And whether or not I nailed the style, this might be one of the most unique tasting beers I've made in a while. Because I can't really tell you what else it tastes like other than this beer. I can't tell you it tastes like a Sam Adams Boston Lager. I can't tell you that it tastes like, a, uh, I was going to say, a, a New Belgian Fat Tire. But I guess that depends on which version you have in your fridge now. It's a, yet another episode for another series that doesn't exist yet. But it's I can't sit here and say, go get a whatever beer because i can't really quantify another example of this which makes this beer a lot of fun to try and a lot of fun to drink and a lot of fun to make as well and introduce to people in fact i'm just gonna go ahead and end on one more tasting yeah it's a very fun beer that's a very good tasting beer very fun very unique it's a could be a conversation starter with beer snob so i'm definitely gonna make it again i think exactly the same way too even though, like I said, I'm not getting the hop character that it describes. I don't know if I want it when I make this for fun. Maybe for competition, but if I make this again just for me and for people to taste, I think this is a beer I'm going with. This is a really fun beer. If you haven't ever tried it before and you're a brewer, I'd look into it. Fun to make, easy to make. There's no special, any kind of steps to make it. It's a flat-out uh, infusion mash with some um, corn and malt, <laughs> and uh, then your boil. If you happen to ever see one commercially, grab it as well, because that's something I've never seen. I've only ever seen it at one brewery. So I've gone on long enough in this tasting. So let me go ahead and wrap up. I'm going to say, of course, thank you for listening. I'll be back. I've got two more beers I need to taste. In fact, maybe even today, which makes that third one going to be a very interesting conversation. But there's definitely beer episodes right behind this. So until then, I'll say one more time, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.